Welcome to the creek. Happy Thanksgiving week. That's where you say happy Thanksgiving back. Happy Thanksgiving back. If you've got your Bible, go to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And while you're going there, um, we're going to be talking about gratitude this morning. And I want to read to you a verse out of Colossians uh, first. Uh, But go to Philippians chapter 4 and uh, hold your finger there. And I'm going to go over to Colossians and share something with us to kind of center us this morning on this verse. Um, Colossians 3. This, uh, we're going to center ourselves on gratitude this morning, and I want to read to you Colossians 3.17 to kind of start us in this, this focus. Uh, it says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Um, Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and we're kind of focused on thanks. And, and Colossians here, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae and saying, In everything you do, whether word or deed, Uh, Do it for the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to the Father. Now, there is a major difference here in giving thanks and gratitude. They can be different. Um, I know some of you are uh, uh, in law enforcement, so I'm going to confess something. This is a safe place. Um, uh, The other day, I took Heather on a lunch date, and uh, we're driving back, and uh, I call it the point of no return at an intersection. And uh, the light was orange, we'll call it. And, uh, I, I, you know, you make that split-second decision, slam on the brakes and put Heather against the dashboard or hit the, hit the gas and, and go for it. Well, this intersection has a camera. And uh, let me tell you something. I was thankful that I didn't see a flash because I thought I made it through in time. Um, but... Uh, there's a difference in thankfulness and being grat- and grateful. And gratitude and thankfulness are different things. Um, I will find out in a couple weeks um, how thankful I am about that. Uh, you know, that you know, I'll get this nice letter. Um, I have a daughter who has been through the... Uh, we have an older daughter who's been through the driving uh, thing first and paved the way for all the restrictions that go on Abby. Um, and I know what those letters look like, you know, and I know what link to go to and you see the video, so... Uh, been down that road. Uh, but how about you? Not not running lights, but have you ever said thank you without truly meaning it? You know, like when when your food comes and uh, thank you, and you realize it's wrong right off the bat. There's a restaurant that Heather and I love to go to, but it seems like every time for the last six times we've gone, they've gotten my order wrong. And, and I finally just decided, you know, I've got to say something about this. Um, and part of it's my fault because I can eat half of my meal without realizing it was wrong. Um, <laughs> you get food in front of me, it's not going to last long. Um, speaking of which, Thanksgiving is this week. I have been training my body, okay? I did a Thanksgiving prep at Agape. They served Thanksgiving dinner at Agape Meals Thursday night. And when I walked in, I was like, I, I, I mean, I was vying for a table. I mean, it was, it was one of those months at serve, with serving at Agape where there's a, a shortage of tables to serve at, not of, of table hosts. And so um, I got to have stuffing and turkey and gravy and, uh, you know, I'm making you hungry now. You're like, this, this is going to be a long service. Um, y'all are going to hit babes afterwards um, to prepare your body. You know, you, you try to hit that massive uh, food intake without it being gluttony. You know what I mean? You don't want to be guilty. 
your mind starts playing tricks on you. Like, I think I can go back for another plate. <laughs> How many of you are already starting to psych yourself up going, I'm not going to eat that much. I'm just, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one plate. I'm going to, I'm going to eat like a bird. Here's the thing with birds. They eat all the time. Every time you see a bird, they're, they're eating. So there you go. Uh, but this, uh, there is an event kind of overshadowing uh, Thanksgiving, and some of you might be training for this. What, what's the thing right after Thanksgiving? Black Friday, um, I, which I never understand because I'm not the one who goes in the black here. You know what I mean? Uh, this, is not a, this is not a win-win situation. Uh, it, you have been training. Some of you are going to pull an all-nighter. Um, uh, some of my family pulled an all-nighter last year. Uh, you, you have been bombarded by the messages of you've got to be trained and ready to go. Uh, I heard a commercial this morning that we are opening at midnight Friday morning. Well, that's Thursday night to me, okay? Um, some of you are going to start, uh, start tomorrow probably. Uh, but Black Friday is one of those events that kind of overshadows Thanksgiving. And, and really what Black Friday is all about is chaos Long lines. I mean, think about it. Um, you hear the stories, and you, you really just kind of fall into this mentality of, of you need more stuff. Even if we don't need it, we're going to buy it because it's such a great deal, right? You, I mean, you, you stand in line for 30 hours so that you can buy a TV you really don't need, but it's such a great deal. You know, you're not going to give it as a gift. You're going, I can't, well, I only got one. I can't give it to somebody because then somebody's going to get jealous. So we kind of, that's the language of this, of our culture. Um, in an average day, you get uh, 600 professional messages put in front of you, uh, marketing. Uh, so we have brilliant, bright minds that come up with ads and commercials and billboards and ways to put in front of you of, you need more stuff. The stuff you have uh, is is not adequate. You need more to make you whole. Um, and then that's professional, 600 a day on average. Uh, on average, in the personal side, it's 3,000 a day. I mean, whether that be an email, um, word of mouth, uh, you get approximately 3,000 messages of input a day telling you that you need more stuff. And I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into this whole thing on railing against stuff. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I want to get into this idea of gratitude and contentment. And, and why is it so hard to be grateful and content in our culture? Uh, let's read Philippians 4 uh, real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to come back to it. Philippians 4, I'm going to start in verse 10. And we're going we're gonna to talk through this, and we're going we're gonna to set the table here for, for a communion time for us. This is Paul writing the church at Philippi. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. So Paul's writing this, uh, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. Uh, this is the timeless and errant word of God. So there is something for us 
uh, to glean. Uh, there is something that we've got to recenter our lives around. And Paul says this secret, and, and he's, there's a secret in our society, in our culture as well, in order for us to center around this idea of contentment and gratitude. Uh, contentment and gratitude, I think, go hand in hand. And so there's a couple messages that we need to kind of get, uh, get through so we can understand more about our culture, so we can understand what God is teaching us, so we can be grateful. Uh, the first thing is our culture tells us that we need more. I mean, the marketing messages, we get drawn in, uh, we, we, we fall into the thing of, of I've, I've got to have more. And, and I don't just mean stuff. I'm not just talking about materialism. It's really a consumerism mentality. Uh, this idea, well, you could actually step it even farther into idolatry because it's not always stuff. Stuff is concrete, and we can put, our, we can put that, you know, that's the stuff that, that causes the problem. But there's more things that we, uh, at the root and core of who we are, desire more of. Think about it. Uh, more love. More respect. You know, some, some of us desire more popularity, accomplishments, value in our family. I mean, think about how we engage in the things that, that our kids are involved with. Uh, my family is a priority for me, but it can get dangerous when, when everything centers around filling my need. I mean, when I try to get my cup filled through how I engage with my family. Um, we go through these ideas of how to get more love, how to get more respect, how to get more position, how to get more authority. Uh, that's part of that draw because our culture tells us that you are not whole and you are not going to be complete unless you start filling up the things in your life. The other thing is uh, we have an attitude of entitlement. As Americans, this is, this is really difficult. Um, Entitlement is something that honestly get kind of uh, bothers me, but I understand that I have to say me too. Uh, we live in a culture and a society that's very unique. We have a unique quality of life. Now, I understand that, that our economy in our country is not the greatest it has been in years. I understand job situations. I know a lot of, a lot of people in our church community are struggling financially, are struggling in the area of employment. But, but on the whole, we have to look at our economy and what a unique situation we live in and, and everything that we have accessible to us. And we have this high quality of life and the problem with us, or maybe just with me, is I tend to think it's normal, and I translate that into every area of my life. Or I travel, and I think that my normal should be their normal. Uh, think about some of those instances. Uh, we went to a small town yesterday. Uh, Abby School made it to the next step in the playoffs. And uh, we went to uh, this small town that honestly, you blink twice and you're gone. Yeah, this, this town is that small. And there's just a different pace of life that happens there. And, and I grew up in a small town. Um, I can breathe in a small town. I know what it's like to be in a small town. Um, but I like going there, but I can get so frustrated. Uh, you know, you, uh, 
I get this idea. It's always a hurry up. For a guy thing, guys, you track with this. It was a two and a half hour drive. Okay, guys, we don't see it as a journey. We see it as it's a race to get to our destination. Well, we get there and we have to get lunch in the town and they move so slow. And you're just like, I don't want to go in and sit down. We got to go fast food because I know in a small town, you're going to go in and it's going to take you 10 minutes to get a drink. Uh, and then it's going to take 10 minutes to get your order. And it's going to take 20 minutes to get your food. It's going to take 15 minutes to get your check because they're all like, how are you doing? Oh, and they want to sit down and talk. When a guy is on a race or a journey to his destination, that amount of time and energy spent stopping is a waste. I'm sorry, ladies, it is. You just, that's, that's how we're wired, okay? You married us, you're not gonna change it. That's the way it is. And so this, uh, this town moves at a different pace. I live in the DFW Metroplex. I don't, I don't like traffic. I, I've fixed all the traffic problems, but nobody will listen to me. But I have fixed all that. But I live where it's, it's a fast pace. I mean, you can have six lanes of highway, everybody doing 70 miles an hour, and it's this crazy chaos ballet. Down there, you got two lanes, no shoulder, and it is, it is, there's tractors blocking the way. And I think that my normal here in the DFW Metroplex should translate there. Um, or uh, Heather and I have vacationed in Mexico. Totally different culture. My normal doesn't work. We vacationed in London. It doesn't work there. We tend to think that what is normal for us is normal for everyone else. When Heather and I got married, we understood this even in America. Um, we're going into the Christmas season, and how we each celebrated Christmas in our families growing up was different. And so I tend to think that something's wrong with her because she doesn't celebrate Christmas the right way. You know, she thinks something's wrong with me because I don't celebrate it the right way. We, we tend to get in this, this, this attitude of entitlement tends to shape how we view everything as normal. I mean, think about this, all the choices that we have in the world around us. Let's just take water, for example. I had some water this morning. I had filtered water from my refrigerator. I had a choice of stopping at the store and getting bottled water. I could get mountain bottled water. I could get spring bottled water. I could get glacier water. I can get reverse osmosis water. I can get flavored water. I can get sparkling water. Heaven forbid I turn on a tap and fill up a cup. You know, you're like, it just has a bad taste. Water doesn't have a taste, but I understand what you're talking about. And we think that's normal. Uh, we've got to understand that there is uh, more than a billion people one billion people in the world that don't have access to clean drinking water. More than 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. Now, you've got, you've got billions of people that live on less than 2 bucks a day, but you have 80% of the world's population that live on less than 10 bucks a day. I can't even get fast food for 10 bucks a meal. I'm not saying this to make us feel guilty. I'm saying this so that we can understand the reality and the, 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 the bigger perspective of the world in which we live in and how we view our circumstances. And society is telling us we're entitled to something when in reality, we are among the most blessed people in the world. I mean, God, and, and, and don't feel guilty about it. 
I mean, in Acts 17, God says that I put them, I, I set the times and places for you to live. God put you here in this time and has given you what you have. Uh, don't beat yourself with it. You know, that would be the worst thing you could do because then you're saying, God, I don't like the stuff you gave me. I don't like where you put me. God's put you here for a specific purpose, and let's, let's understand this. Uh, the third thing is we have wandering hearts. There's an old hymn uh, called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it talks about our wandering heart. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have wandering hearts. We fall in love and out of love. I mean, watch, watch uh, if you have kids in middle school, this is, this is fun to watch. I was a middle school pastor for years. And it was so fun to watch this process of love start opening up to a half-baked human being. It's just, it, it's incredible. I mean, it's, they wake up on a Saturday morning, I love cartoons. And then by Saturday afternoon, they find out cartoons are for kids. Oh, I love this. I love Nickelodeon. I love, I, and then they go into school and see this girl. For guys, it's fine. Girls, you do it too. I can only speak from the experience of a guy. You know, you see a girl, sixth grade, you're like, oh, I'm in love, you know? For a, for a middle school guy, it's hard to distinguish gas and love, honestly. Um, seventh grade boys have more fun with gas than love, honestly. But, um, but we fall in and out of love. We do this with stuff. We, we get something new. We set our sights on something. We get it. The high wears off and we got to get something else. Um, or we fall into the marketing scheme of the accessories You've got this, now you need all the add-ons that go to it. And our hearts begin to wonder, and uh, we've got to understand this. This is, this is important because of our wiring. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory, that even in the mother's womb, our heart it has the ability to put things in front of us in order to worship. I mean, we are wired for worship, and we create things to fill that void. We create things for us to worship. Um, one, of the, one of the authors and teachers, pastors that I like to read is Tim Keller, and he talked about this, this idol or this thing that, that creates a worship or where we focus it. Um, Tim Keller said this, an idol is anything, even good things, that we look to to give us joy, meaning, or identity. It's anything, even good things, that we look to to give us joy, meaning, or identity. And those can be healthy things. Those can be unhealthy things. I sat at a sporting event yesterday watching kids compete. And as parents, uh, you've, seen, you've seen the little league parent. It, it, they've made an idol out of their kids and their ability for their kids I mean, think about some of the parents you have interacted. If you are this parent, we, can, we want to talk to you and we want to pray for you in the, in the prayer room. But you've seen these parents on the sidelines. It's five-year-olds playing soccer, okay? He's not going to go to Manchester United. There's not, there's not a scout there going, I think I like this kid, you know? Uh, your, your kid that's playing the select baseball, 
chances are he's not going to be playing in the major leagues. And we, as parents, we can't find our identity in our kids. And we can't find our identity or our fulfillment or our joy in our kids. We have to find it in one place, and that is through God. Any idol is what we put above God to find our fulfillment. And, and what Paul is getting to here in Philippians is, I found the secret here. Um, the Philippian culture was a unique culture. Uh, the city of Philippi had helped the, the Roman Empire win a battle. And um, Caesar had given them special privilege. They were unique. These were a proud people. They were the highest class of citizen in, in the Roman Empire outside of Rome. Um, they tended to think that they were all that. There was ambition. This city was strategically placed on trade routes. Uh, there was a lot of economic opportunity. There was a lot of wealth that existed in the city. And there was a lot of favor with government. Sound familiar? I mean, they were ambitious and proud people. And Paul is writing to them. He's writing from prison. I mean, Philippians was a book, is a book about joy that Paul writes while sitting in a prison cell. And he's writing a very affluent community. He's writing back to them and saying, in, in want or plenty, I have learned the secret of being content. And so let's understand some things that, that get this context into our life. Uh, let me read it to you again. Verse 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What he's driving at here is the Philippian church was a wealthy church. And he's not saying, I'm, I'm writing to you because I have need. You, you have the, the resources financially to help me, but that's not why we're having this conversation. You ever had those people that, that they're the drainer type people that you know when your phone rings, it's going to be, what do they want from me? And you start to, you almost start to put up your wall and you think, okay, how am I going to combat it? You know, you've got, you've got friends that whenever the phone rings, you see the caller ID, you realize you put people in your phone for two reasons. The, some of them, you put their names and numbers so you know when not to answer. I, I've just heard of this, this art. But you know when you see that name come up, you're like, oh, man, they want money. Oh, no, this is what they want. And you start to think, I, I just let it go to voicemail. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the wherewithal. You just you go down the list, and then you hear and it's voice when you're like, okay, done. You know, I'll listen to that later when I when I'm ready. And and Paul is not coming at the Philippian church in this context. Paul has a deep affection for them. Um, the interesting thing is, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. He said, you you did address of need of mine, but that's not why I'm writing to you. Whatever the circumstances, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then here's verse 13. This is the coffee cup verse. 
I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. You see, we love to take verse 13 and make that our life verse and to put that, you know, at the front. We look at that as God's blank check to us. You know, I possess no ability to play basketball, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. You know, I... We, we want to take verse 13 and make that the charge of our life without understanding the context and, and what verse 11 and 12 is saying. What Paul is saying is this contentment. Contentment, uh, the definition is self-sufficiency. Uh, it means that I, I, I can be self-sufficient, but in a biblical context of contentment, Paul is saying that uh, I have learned to be content. I have learned to find the sufficiency of Christ to be adequate for my life. And, and what we have to understand is when we face these situations, regardless of circumstances, that the sufficiency of Christ in our life is enough. You know, Paul's not saying I'm sitting in chains in a Roman prison awaiting my trial and ultimate execution, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I think I want to walk out of here. I think I want to pick a different path for my life. I think I want to do something else. I think I want to enter something I have no business being in, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then we get frustrated when God doesn't come through on his part and we start to lose contentment and we start to stray from gratitude. Contentment, gratitude is being able to, to find that joy and thanksgiving and the heart of gratitude while being content. Are you tracking with that? Is that I can be thankful in all situations because the sufficiency of Christ is enough. I don't know all of your situations. I know some. But the sufficiency of Christ is enough. Paul said he learned this secret. What is the secret to this? I mean, we want to we want to break this down in our culture and go. Just give me the top three things. I mean, I go to church conferences and like, just give me the top three things to make my church large. You know, we go to business, we go to financial seminars. Just give me the three core principles on how to be rich, and we want the easy way out of it. And Paul says, "I've learned the secret where our, our ears perk up because I don't really like all the situations that I face. So I look to God to get me out of them, not to teach me in them." And the secret is this, in your own strength and perspective, gratitude is not just difficult, it's impossible. When we look at this from our perspective, it's impossible to have a heart of gratitude. Let me give you some perspective here. Paul is writing and ministering to people who have great marriages, and he is single. Paul is writing and ministering to people who don't have issues paying their bills. And he doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from. Paul is writing and ministering to people who have a citizenship that is almost as high as a Roman citizen, who have the freedom to come and go as they please. And Paul is in chains for the gospel. If Paul tries to be grateful from his own perspective and his own strength, it's impossible. He would sit in that jail cell whining 
and whining. And he would fester. And he would begin to, to just implode. Because he would start becoming angry and bitter at God. Because it was through Jesus that he was there in the first place. But he looked to Christ. He looked to Jesus as the example of the perspective of finding gratitude. Um, flip over to Philippians 2. It's just uh, maybe a page back, if, depending on your Bible. Philippians 2. I'm going to read to you verse 3 and five, three through 5. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Remember, this is a proud people. These are people who had a, same, a similar sense of entitlement. Politically, we're strong, we got it, we're good. And he's saying, don't, don't do this out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's the secret. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus was fixed on the cross. His attitude was that of a servant. He found his fulfillment and his identity in the will of the Father. When he said, he said, my will is to do the will of the Father. And the Father's will is like bread to me and sustenance to my soul. That I get my fill by doing the work of my Father. And we tend to think that because we're willing to do that, that God's always going to let us rise above the circumstance, that we're going to be the hero, that the crowd's going to carry us off the field, and that as we do all things through the strength that Christ gives us, that we become the center of attention. And that's not the attitude and mindset of Jesus. You see, Jesus loved me that even as a sinner went to the cross. I can be grateful for that because I have life through that. And that changes my perspective. Uh, gratitude, let me give you a definition of gratitude. It's the continual practice of resting in the goodness of God. It's not just learning to be content in our situations or in our circumstances. It's this. It's regardless of our circumstance. It's us resting in the goodness of God. Like I said, I don't know your situations. I know some of them. I know some are great and some are difficult. But, but the question comes down to this. Are you resting in the goodness of God? Here's the real question. Is Jesus enough? Whether in plenty or in want, is Jesus enough? As we center around the communion table this morning, um, I want us to search our hearts and come back to a core and ask yourself this question, is Jesus enough? If you could have all of the stuff of heaven, if you could have all of the stuff without Jesus, would you still take it? If you could have everything but Jesus, is it, would you take it? Is Jesus enough? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we uh, uh, come to you this morning and, 
and, and we have different circumstances going on in our life. I don't know every circumstance in this room. Not everyone in this room knows my circumstance. But Father, you do. And so we ask that, that, you, uh, that you transform our hearts. Father, we ask for your forgiveness when we've tried to find contentment out of our own self-sufficiency. And we center ourselves and rest in the sufficiency of your grace. that in our weakness, your grace is made perfect. Your power is made complete. And so, Father, we just, as we come together, uh, approaching a week of of thanksgiving, we ask that uh, we start it out right. That in all things, we can be grateful. In all circumstances of life, we can be grateful. And my hope is that that we don't just come to this this morning and say, thank you, God, but that we truly have hearts of gratitude. Because every situation, whether good or bad, is authored by you. It doesn't happen without your approval. God, sometimes I, I, I feel so uh, so much peace in that and sometimes I feel so much unrest in that because everything I face has come to your knowledge. And so we focus on you this morning. And we come to the, the communion table as a family. we just refocus ourselves on the blood and on the body of Jesus Christ that was given for us. And so we ask that our attitudes be the same as Jesus, who humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. Father, would you help us to be grateful?